0: Love getting prices that are lower than low on food that's fresher than fresh? Then shop at Kroger. We give you more ways to save on the fresh you love with tools like the Kroger app, where you can find personalized coupons on top of weekly sales, giving you prices that are lower than the everyday low. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save one dollar each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Kroger, fresh for everyone.
2: Welcome back to the X-Zone, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the all-new X-Zone Broadcast Network and the Talkstar Radio Network. My email address is xzone at xzoneradiotv.com on MSN Messenger, xzoneradiotv at hotmail.com, and our website, www.xzoneradiotv.com. My guest this hour is a good friend of the x John Michael Greer is his name. And uh, John Michael Greer has been a student of monster lore and the occult since 1975. He is also the author of several books including Natural Magic, Potions and Powers from the Magical Garden, Circles of Power, Ritual Magic in the Western Tradition, and Inside a Magical Lodge, he has uh, written articles for Renaissance Magazine, Golden Dawn Journal, Meslim, New Moon Rising, Gnosis, and Alexandria. A student and practitioner of geomancy and sacred geometry for more than 20 years, fluent in Latin and medieval French for the past five years, and a certified tarot grand master. John Michael Greer has studied a geomantic texts from the Middle Ages and Renaissance, learning and testing out the techniques that were used when geomancy was at its height. John Michael Greer is an active member of Five Fraternal and Two Magical Lodges, and uh, he's joining us tonight to talk about his one of his new books. This man writes more books than anyone I know. The name of the book that we're going to be talking about in the first part of the show is The UFO Phenomenon. Fact, Fantasy, and Disinformation. And John Michael Greer, welcome back to the X-Zone. How are you, John?
3: Doing very well. It's a pleasure to be on again.
2: It's great having you with us, John. Uh, your, your new book is about UFOs, and the uh, subtitle is Fact, Fantasy, and Disinformation. Hmm. Three very interesting <laughs> aspects of ufology.
3: Yes. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, here we well, are. The thing is to... Go, go ahead. Go ahead, sir. There's, one of the problems with the whole UFO phenomenon is that partly it isn't just one phenomenon. That's, I think the thing that has caused more confusion than anything else is the fact that people have been trying to get all of these extremely diverse experiences under a single head. And there are some things going on that are unquestionably factual. There are some things going on that are pretty clearly fantasy. And there are some things going on that involve the deliberate manipulation of information, disinformation as the, the phrase is.
2: You know, I came up with a theory several months ago where if there is a UFO conspiracy, it's not the government that is maintaining it or perpetrating it. It's actually members of the UFO community because as long as they are pointing the finger and saying that there is a government conspiracy, they do not have to produce any evidence to the actual existence of UFOs because anything that they would want to show has already been confiscated and taken by the government in their mm-hmm. so-called uh, conspiracy.
3: Oh, that's funny. So, so, in other words, yeah, the government conspiracy is so good that that's why we don't have any evidence. It's all their fault.
2: Oh, that's it's that's funny. what the UFO community is 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 saying, loud and clear. It's, it's, no, I, don't no, I, buy I understand it. that. Yeah. yeah,
3: it's it's like it's like the um, the people out there who insist that oh, say the Freemasons or somebody run mm-hmm. the world, and the fact that there's no evidence for this just proves how clever they are.
2: <laughs> exactly. <coughs> exactly.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the things that has to be understood in in dealing with UFOs and with, the, with that whole phenomenon and many other phenomena is that there's not just one group of people who are trying to manipulate the information.
2: And you see, that's where the big surprise comes because when it comes to the manipulation of information according to what ufologists and researchers would like us to believe, the manipulation mm-hmm. comes from the government.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, I would start by saying which government, because not all governments have the same agenda in this situation. Um, It's been tolerably well documented, for example, that the Soviet Union, back when there was a Soviet Union, used, quote, UFO sightings, unquote, as a cover for some of their aerospace testing. Mm -hmm. One of the things I suggest in my book is that they basically caught that like from the United States government, which has been doing the same thing for a long time. And that other countries around the world have used, um, oh, it must be a UFO. As a, as a very convenient cover for having airplanes or other technologies someplace where they weren't supposed to be.
2: John, stand by. You and I have to take our first break. John Michael Greer is our special guest. Here's the website, ExoNation, www.redroom.com forward slash author forward slash John Michael Greer. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. John Michael Greer is my special guest this hour. www.redroom.com forward slash author forward slash John hyphen Michael hyphen Greer. Mike, uh, John, we're uh, more than 60 years into the UFO era, and a fair sized library of books have been written about the phenomenon. I- is there anything new to say about it? Or is it, the,
3: s- oh,
2: go ahead. No, or is it the same is- old, same old being hashed over again?
3: Well, we've been hearing the same old, same old, same old for about 60 years now. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean there's nothing that, that's left to say. It means that the entire debate has become mired in a couple of completely unproductive assumptions. Talk to almost anybody in the UFO community or these days outside of it, and you'll find one of two opinions. Either UFOs are, space, are you know, nuts and bolts, spaceships from some alien civilization, or they are entirely um, hoaxes, misidentifications, and delusions. Those are the only two hypotheses people are willing to talk about. And there's an assumption that if one is false, the other must be true. This is hardly logical. No, it's not. I mean, the the fact is that Unidentified things seen in the sky, which is what UFO means, after all. It doesn't mean alien spacecraft. Unidentified things seen in the sky can have many different origins. And we need to get past those assumptions and actually start talking about what do people actually see, what is influencing what they see, and what might be behind it.
2: What does the history of the phenomenon have to do with figuring out what's really out there or up there?
3: Well, the history is crucial because, I mean, if, if you were a scientist... Um, actually researching a phenomenon instead of either trying to debunk it or trying to um, insist on some, you know, Mm -hmm. preconceived notion. You start by figuring out what is the phenomenon, how does it change over time? And the thing that you're going to find out if you track the UFO phenomenon over time is that it changes in lockstep with popular culture. And popular culture changes first. Across the board, you see something in the ufo world mm-hmm. out of popular that you know if you see something showing up in the sky people reporting ufos look back a few years or even a couple of decades and you'll find that it was in popular culture first this doesn't offer any support to the claim that these are aliens from space it does suggest there are some very complex feedback loops going on
2: and you know we've seen this over the years where a movie comes out people go to see it it's it have let's whether it's E.T., Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Independence Day, mm-hmm. after the movie, incidents rise, and then they fall. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a peak, but up and down, goodbye.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, it's also the case that the type of incidents that are reported are directly influenced by movies and other media phenomenon in advance. Um, for example, the flying saucer, the disc-shaped spacecraft buzzing through the sky, that was actually invented by science fiction magazine cover artists. The first one that I've been able to track was in 1917, and only after they had saturated um, the magazine covers through the era of the pulps in the the 30s and 40s, especially on the pages of amazing science fiction, Ray Palmer's um, extremely famous lowbrow science fiction rag, did people start seeing them in the sky. In the same way, abductions became an issue after abductions started showing up in popular culture in the form of books and movies.
2: So how do, we, how do we go through the people who are making the claims of these sightings to those who have actually had a sighting of something that they cannot understand within the realm of reality to those who are just profiting from the phenomenon?
3: It's a challenge. It's a real challenge. One of the things that, that basically needs to happen is to take a step back from the individual cases. Because especially the famous cases these days, you get a, a situation like Roswell, you mm-hmm. get the Benny, Barney Hill, the Benny and Barney Hill case, you get um, you know, any of a dozen others that have become the big cases. And at this point, they are so surrounded by, by layers of mythology, both pro-alien and pro-debunker mythology, that it's almost impossible to figure out what actually goes on. Look at the phenomenon over a broad over a broader spectrum say what changes are happening to it in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and the 70s how does it change and what else tracks those same changes then you start getting a hint of what's under what's what's behind the whole thing of the very complex causes of this extremely complex phenomenon. all
2: right when we look at the Betty and Barney Hill case we look at Roswell and let's just uh, concentrate on Roswell for a second mm-hmm all these years afterwards, there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of of he said, she said, he saw, they saw mm-hmm. in this entire scenario. And to coin the phrase from the little Wendy's uh, lady that wears the beef, there Where's is the beef? no proof. There is no evidence. And what would have happened to the Roswell case if Stanton Friedman had not written his book?
3: Yeah. Well... You have Stanton Friedman's book. You go back before you get the one that Charles Berlitz did with the other two researchers that really put it back on the map. And the fascinating thing about that book is that it actually lifted most of it or many of its details from an earlier book about a completely faked UFO crash at Aztec, one that was just invented by by um, a couple of con artists who sold the story to Frank Scully. And so you get you get this situation. Here's another place where history matters. Look at the details and say where have I seen that before? Mm-hmm. And in many cases, again, you can trace it to popular culture, you can trace it to themes moving through the UFO community as they're elaborated in more and more versions. You could just kind of track it back and say, what was actually going on in the summer of 1947? And that actually becomes a very interesting question because you notice, among other things, that the kind of UFOs that were being seen in 1947 are not being seen today the things that people reported and photographed during the big um, UFO flap in the summer of '47, in late during late, uh, late early July, 1947, right. were silver, round, or spherical objects at high altitude. So, That's what they saw.
2: So how come that
3: changed? Yeah, so the, there were spher- we had these spherical daylight objects which were seen quite frequently during that flap and a couple of others later. After the mid-1950s, the phenomenon changed to bright lights at high altitude. Primarily, that was the thing. There are some other things that we're also experiencing. That that becomes a complex matter. Of course, I think everyone is now aware of the black triangles, which showed up in the very early 1980s and became a big deal for a while. Now, ask yourself this. Who was doing something with spherical silver objects in the 1940s? Lights at high altitude in the, in the 1950s and 60s, black triangles in the 1980s.
2: The U.S. government.
3: The U.S. Air Force. We're talking about a history of American aerial espionage. That's right. In the 1940s and early 1950s, the hot technology for aerial espionage was high altitude balloons. Yeah. 1954 saw the U-2 enter service. And the um, early 1960s, you had the SR-71, both of which you see anomalous lights moving like stars against the background at very high altitude at dawn or dusk. Um, 1980, the hottest thing and the most secret thing in the U.S. Um, military cupboard was the, stealth, the first stealth planes.
2: And, and I, remember, I remember, John, that there yeah. were people who would rent vans and Doppler radar units in droves and head up to the hills surrounding Area 51. Mm-hmm. and see these lights in the sky and had no idea why they were not getting a radar return.
3: Well, Hello. There you go. Because, because, in fact, that's where, that's where the stealth prototype, have blue was being tested. That's in one right. of the places.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. And so, and in fact, one of the things that is most interesting to me about the whole UFO phenomenon is that, except for the fact that they got the one central thing wrong, mo- many of the UFO believers are right about a lot of things. Are they right that there's something really, really funny associated with UFOs going on at, at um, Area 51? Absolutely. That's where America's spy plane fleet was based mm-hmm. for decades. Um, are they right that the government's hiding something? Of course they're right. It's just that it's not spacecraft from another civilization. It's um, you know fairly well documented aerial espionage technologies. Um, are they right that the government has been turning out disinformation? Absolutely. What I don't think they've grasped is that the whole story that these things are aliens from space is part of the disinformation.
2: And they're not grasping the fact that this is all being done in a matter of national security.
3: Yeah, and totally well-documented stuff. You can go back and get a lot of information on the old spy balloon tests of the, of the 40s and 50s. I mean, the United States flew barrages of spy balloons over the Soviet Union from one end to the other. Um, the Russians, uh, under Khrushchev, displayed one of them at a big international conference in a high state of, uh, of fury at one point. You know, it's all very well documented, but because everyone's looking for little green men or, or, or you know, graves from Zeta Reticula or what have you, nobody's looking at, okay, what's the connection? Well, you know, what was it? Um, would have been seven? No, no, what? Uh, let's see, some, yeah, just a very short time before the whole UFO thing took off. Um, yeah, three years. The preparations for D-Day. When the United States and Britain manufactured a complete fake army to buffalo the Germans to thinking we were going to invade France in a different place than we were.
2: Oh, I remember this one.
3: You remember that stuff? One of the lessons of that that most people don't realize is that you have several layers of deception. You don't just hide the truth underneath one layer of fraud. You set up at least two and maybe more than two frauds in opposition to one another and get them fighting back and forth. The German high command was in a tizzy over which of the false invasion plans were true. And they finally settled on the one across, uh, right across from Dover at the Pas de Calais, because that's the one that looked most, most plausible. It's just that it was made to look plausible.
2: Isn't that where the actual had...
3: invasion was, was, was taking place in Normandy quite some distance away, and they didn't realize it.: Isn't
2: that where they had tanks that were actually made of balloon, inflatable tanks and other?: Yeah, yeah they oh, had
3: inflatable tanks. Yeah. they had entire military bases. That were, stocked by, that were staffed by small crews of actors who were supposed to scurry around looking as busy as possible. They were planting fake documents. They had um, aerial reconnaissance going in places where they had no intention of invading. They had one group of people who were set up to convince the Germans that we were going to invade Norway, another batch that was trying to convince them we were going to invade Greece.
2: Hey, John, stand oh, by, over. friend. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Oh, yeah. John, Michael Greer our special guest. And uh, John and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.
0: My name is Michael Telstar, Canada's leading mentalist from Toronto, Ontario...
2: My name is Spunza, and you're listening to my dad, Rod
1: McConnell, on the external.
0: This is Psychic Dorothy from St. Catharines, and you're listening to Rod McConnell.
1: Hello, my name is Holly Reeves, an astrologer from astro for You.
0: At Kroger, we believe it takes the right team to bring you the freshest produce. That's why we partner with farmers who grow only the best. And that level of teamwork means better, fresher options time and time again. Working with farmers is what it takes to be fresh for everyone. Kroger, fresh for everyone. It's the big ten dollars sale. So mix and match and get two, three, four, five, or even ten for ten dollars with your card. So many great deals. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Texting privacy policy and terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for recurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply STOP to opt out.
2: Welcome back, everyone. John Michael Greer is our special guest. Uh, www.redroom.com forward slash author forward slash John hyphen Michael hyphen Greer. And we're talking about uh, John's new book. It's entitled The UFO Phenomena, Fact, Fantasy, and Disinformation. Why is it, John, that people have a desire to be part of the UFO community even if they have never seen a UFO, but they're internet exper- experts. So what? What? What do you believe their their prime directive is?
3: Well, I, I mean, to some extent, that's that, you can't make an you can't make an assumption like that without overgeneralizing. There's there's a lot of reasons why people get caught up in something like this, and there's. I suspect it varies fairly dramatically from person to person there's I mean there's always simple things like the you know the conviction that there's something going on and you know we need to we need to find out what it is maybe you maybe you believe in you believe passionately in the idea that um, you know there are alien civilizations out there visiting and Believing in UFOs is a way of expressing that faith. Um, maybe you've become convinced that the world is in deep trouble and that we have to get—you know—we have to have help from somewhere. So your faith in UFOs is—is is, you know, like a, a, a Christian's faith in the imminence of the second coming. Um, there's a, there's a lot of things that that draw people to this mythology, and I think it, the UFO thing needs to be understood as Carl Jung pointed out a long time ago, as a mythology, as a set of Emotionally powerful narratives that many people find very compelling. That unfortunately also makes it very difficult to talk um, sensibly about what's actually going on there, because as with any mythology, people don't like it when you ask hard questions about the facts.
2: But didn't Jung also say that um, flying saucers were were uh, you know were actually psychological projection?
3: Well, he was he was not perfectly certain about that. He he argued he suggested at one point in his, in his essay on the subject that there might be a physical reality behind them. He suggested another point that whatever was going on, they were certainly powerful um, symbols that came out of the split world of the of the Cold War era as a, as an image of wholeness, images of totality, kind of a mandala symbol. And he found them popping up in dreams like anything, as you'd expect. Um, really his essay on the subject is one of the, is one of the more useful things that that have been written about UFOs and I wish more people would pay attention to kind of the subtext that he's saying look these are a creation of a particular historical period a projection of its fears its hopes and its dreams if there is a physical reality behind them, behind the phenomenon or behind certain parts of the phenomenon we need to get past our own habit of projecting our our hopes and fears onto it, like so many patterns onto an inkblot, and actually look at what people are experiencing. And then, you know, some potentially very unusual, potentially useful discoveries can be made.
2: John, you also say the whole uh, debate about UFOs has gotten stuck in a quarrel between two belief systems, and mm-hmm. neither one of them is all that convincing. Now, what do you mean by that?
3: Well, look at the look at the debunkers and the and, and the the what would you say the, the ETH people the extraterrestrial hypothesis people. If it's a UFO, if it's a UFO, it must be an alien spaceship. If it's a UFO, it must be um, a hoax, a delusion, or a mis- simple misidentification. Those are the belief systems. Are the only beliefs that most people are willing to approach on the subject. That didn't used to be true. Back as late as the mid-1950s, there were actually a wide range of hypotheses about what these mysterious lights and objects seen in the sky might be. But we've become stuck in these two alternative views, both of which use an appalling range of false logic to justify their claims. And that is true of the debunkers, by the way, as anyone else. Um, These folks who go around calling themselves the defenders of reason use some of the worst logic I've seen in, in any public debate in a long time. And neither one of them is is grappling with the basic rules of of evidence and logic. Just because something is seen in the sky Mm -hmm. does not mean you can automatically assume it's either a delusion or, or, you know, a spacecraft in Zeta Reticuli. And just because there's an object seen in the sky doesn't mean that all objects seen in the sky can be categorized in one um, in, in, you know, as as coming from a single cause, both sides tend to make that that latter assumption all the time, and it reduces a lot of what they're trying to say to gibberish.
2: What are some of the things that you believe UFOs could actually
3: be? Well. We've already talked about the possibility that um, a fair number of UFOs, of the quote UFO unquote sightings, are in fact unidentified because they are um, secret aerospace technologies or aerospace technologies that were secret at the time they were sighted, whether high altitude spy balloons in the 1940s and 50s, um, spy planes thereafter, um, there are some quote UFO crashes unquote that are pretty clearly American spy satellites. And so there's a whole range of things like that. There's also a range of stuff that um, you can really only describe by calling it shamanic experience. Take your basic abductee story. Mm -hmm. And compare it to a good anthropological account of of shamanism. Uh, Mircea Mircea Eliade's book Shamanism is a great example. And you'll find that it's basically the same story. You know, people are, you know, they're lying in bed or they're in some kind of liminal state. And all of a sudden, these mysterious beings come and lift them out of themselves and take them into another world where strange things are done to them. And, and they come back, and a lot of times thereafter, they report um, having psychic experiences and things like this. It's basic shamanism. It's just that we don't believe in spirits anymore, so we have to call our spirits little green men from Zeta Reticula. And then you, I mean, there's, there's at least one other phenomenon, arguably. There are balls of light that have been seen um, in, in all different cultures, fairly close to the ground, bobbing around, and nobody's quite sure what they are. There have been some very interesting speculations that they may be um, a a geomagnetic phenomenon. They may be a plasma phenomenon. They are not intelligent as far as we know, but they are also folded into the the UFO mythology, the UFO phenomenon, because any light in the sky has to be an alien spacecraft. So there are at least these three things going on. There's also probably quite a bit more.
2: What about all the evidence, the government involve, uh, you know, the evidence of government involvement in UFO sightings, uh, John?
3: Well, I think that's uh, that, that, that's totally predictable, given that the UFO phenomenon has been has been manipulated by the U.S. government and other governments mm-hmm. as a cover for their own activities. Um, I would, I, I personally suspect that that involvement has gone to the extent of faking sightings. I mean, if you go back, especially in the nineteen fifties and look at the number of quote classic sightings unquote that were reported either by military personnel or by people who were under certain military regulations, um, airline pilots for example, who were for for quite some years subject to, fel- to federal felony charges if they reported a UFO sighting and yet they reported UFO sightings and nobody was prosecuted for it. That makes perfect sense if the UFO sightings quote unquote that were under discussion were American spy plane tests and things like that, and if the ones who reported things were being um, requested to report things to muddy the waters. You know, again, it's uh, we were talking about the, about the D-Day cover-up, yes. um, or the, or the, all that kind of stuff before, this, the stuff that was used to mislead the Germans. That kind of thing is a standard ploy in warfare, has been for a very long time. During the Cold War, was there reason to do it? Of course there was. Were there Russian spies in the United States? Yes, we know that. Were there other ways that, the, that the, the Soviet Union was very interested in getting information about our technologies? Well, of course. Was there every reason why the United States might have jumped on the UFO thing, or whatever its original sources might have been, and used it as a cover? Of course.
2: Especially when they and, saw how the public was going to gobble it up, and it gave them the perfect
3: oh, yeah. uh, perfect screen. Yeah, exactly. You know, my own guess is that the original 1947 flap was caused by um, a secret test of spy balloons. And nobody thought, nobody in, government, in the government thought that people were going to go, oh, my God, it's spacecraft from another planet. But as soon as they did so, you know, the guys in, in, in D.C., Langley and whatever looked at each other and said, you know, we could make use of this. Mm-hmm. And so all through the 50s in particular, then again, um, especially during the stealth era of the of the early 80s, before our stealth um, aircraft were made public, you know, it was deliberately manipulated as a way of providing a certain amount of camouflage for very, very sensitive, um, you know, aerospace mm-hmm. things. As far as I can tell, it's basically, it, the, the whole thing has basically been folded up at this point. You notice that UFO sightings have just kind of dried up. Yes. There are... I mean, there, there's probably what, maybe a billion people in the world these days walking around with a cell phone with a camera in it, and you'd think that some of those people would like see the silvery disks buzzing by and snap pictures of them, and it's not happening. So I, I think basically, probably with the with the demise of the stealth, or possibly some of the um, the handful of, of um, later spy planes, the um, the Aurora Project, which proved to be such a white elephant. Um, that, you know, that whole whole operation has been kind of folded up and stuck in a drawer someplace. I don't imagine that it's been completely discontinued because, you know, it might be useful someday.
2: Where do you think the UFO phenomenon will go from here, John?
3: Um, My guess, unless, again, there's some really good reason to float Mm -hmm. some new spy plane venture under its cover, and, and that might be kind of, pushing the matter at this point. My guess is that it's just going to wind down the way spiritualism did to the way so many other um, alternative reality views have done in American culture. We have this thing, we get into these fads, and they become these huge cause they become the, you know, the, these massive issues, and there's a lot of bickering, a lot of debate, and then it just kind of dries up, and you end up with these little coteries of, of true believers off in the corner somewhere. A um, hundred years from now, there may still be these little UFO groups who are talking about Roswell and Betty and Barney Hill and, and so on, um, and, and still, still insisting that someday, really soon, we're going to have full disclosure and it's going to you know, the UFO on the White House lawn or whatever. Um, because that's the way these things happen. It's become just another, just another subculture, just another alternative subculture and sharply a variance with kind of the mainstream worldview. And it can continue for a long time. I mean, there's a lot of spiritualist churches still out there, still basically doing the same mm-hmm. thing that their great, great, great grandparents were doing in the in the 1860s and 70s.
2: Tell me, John, do you believe we're alone out there?
3: Not at all. Um, I think I think there's every reason to think there are a lot of um, a lot of planets with life on them. We know there are planets all over the all over the universe. Um, our, our space telescopes are starting to spot them at this point and to the point that is ho hum another dozen planets found and i think it's quite reasonable that they have life forms i have my doubts about the idea that it's possible to travel from star to star simply because of the energy concentration that's needed you need so much energy to cover the, those immense distances and energy you know energy in that kind of concentration that kind of convenience Well, we're learning right now the world uh, you know our planet is starting to to look at the limits to how long it can maintain the kind of the kind of high energy technology it has now mm-hmm. because we're rapidly exhausting our supplies of fossil fuels and nothing else is stepping up to the plate it wouldn't surprise me a bit if you know, out across the galaxies. There are many, many, many other intelligent species that have been through this exact same curve. You know, they've had their their sort of rise time. They've they've developed a high energy technology, had a brief period having lots of big, loud, fancy machines and maybe done a little space travel and then settled down and had to learn within their means. Had to learn to live within their means. We may get a radio message from them someday. I don't know. Uh, We may never know. But I suspect right now there are people, you know, beings, probably nothing like us, you know, looking up at the sky from some distant planet and, you know, looking out at the stars and going, I wonder if there's anyone out there.
2: I talked to uh, Seth Shostak uh, from SETI a number of times, and Hmm. I've said, Seth, how do you know that the transmissions that they're sending will be able to be received or even heard by the SETI program? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we really don't know that.
3: No. They, they could be, They could be sending out things in x-ray bursts or something. I mean we, we, it's a mistake to assume that, mm-hmm. we, that that another the technology of another of a completely alien species, the product of a completely alien biosphere, would be anything at all like what we call technology.
2: Plus, I mean, we're carbon-based units. They might be silicon-based units.
3: They might be. They. They might be. Yeah, they could be anything. It could be a you know a hot planet yeah. with um, where, where metal salts are combining in ways that um, you know you don't get under any under any any conditions you find on Earth. They could be totally different chemistry. And even if they're carbon-based, it's going to be a completely different. Hold oh.
2: so on there. Sorry about that, John.
3: Not a problem. It's going to be a completely different sort pro- sort of creature. Mm-hmm. Um, we just have no way of imagining what they're like, what their technologies might be, and and you know they could be sitting there listening to the sky, you know, using X-ray um, mm-hmm. devices and say, well, we're not getting any messages. On the other hand, if they do figure out, we could be in trouble. What if they pick up old reruns of 1950 sitcoms?
2: Boy, we would be in trouble then.
3: Yeah, they're going to go redline that, you know, that's the star system. Those creatures oh, yeah. are insane. My mother, the car.
2: Oh, how about Mr. Ed?
3: Yeah, yeah. Howdy doody. Oh, they ride, yeah, they ride <laughs> these animals to talk. Mm.
2: All right, stand by, John. You and I have to take our final break. Uh, John Michael Greer is our special guest. He has a website, www.red.com room.com forward slash author forward slash john hyphen michael hyphen greer we'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue Michael Greer is our special guest of this hour, ExoNation. His website is www.redroom.com forward slash author forward slash John hyphen Michael hyphen Greer. John, the way that we've been analyzing the UFO sightings and, and, the, and the psychology behind it, It seems that this very template could be used when it comes to Ghostbusters, it could be used when it comes to Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, crop circles.
3: Oh, that's crop circles in particular, I mean... That that's one of those things. It very quickly became an industry, mm-hmm. and a lot for quite a few years, a lot of money was being made by luring credulous American tourists, mostly American tourists, to do these um, expensive tours. There was, uh, I, I was I happened to be in Britain in 2003. And there was this postcard being sold um, fairly commonly all over the West Country in little places where they had um, a, a typical Somerset farmer, um, kind of hazy type, sitting there next to a satellite dish with a pair of earphones, and a stack of signs saying "Crop Circle This Way," um, one pound entrance fee, and it, the the thing, the the um, words below the picture were um, phoning in the order for next year's circles. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> It w- I think it was pretty much open that that was at a certain point it was being done. Um, and, and, and yet there are so m-
2: there are so many real mysteries in this world that we mm-hmm. take for granted.
3: For for example,
2: yeah. Stonehenge and and all the other great landmarks that that you and i've discussed over the years do you see to me these are the real mysteries and that mm-hmm. people are spending their lives looking in the in the sky in the sky for ufos that really aren't there in my opinion or chasing out ghosts out of graveyards looking for a loch Ness monster that well don't know haven't seen nessie lately and then these all all these other phenomenon that really can't be proven when you've got so many wonderful mysteries that are so rich with history right in front of you.
3: And we have so many mysteries within ourselves. I mean, that's the final frontier. That's the frontier we need to be looking at. The imagination... That it takes to create a mythology like the like the UFO myth, and to to use it for all the many purposes it's been used to um, to use it as a powerful tool of to motivation for in many different ways. That's a wonder. That's something we should be studying and thinking about and learning from. We're not not, not sitting there waiting for the guys from Zeta Reticuli to, to get around to landing sixty years after the fact.
2: They ain't coming.
3: But they you know they, they never were. <laughs> but but there's so but there's. There's a remarkable story to be told and a lot of very interesting, just, it's a fascinating, very human story, how people, you know, for much of the 20th century came to believe that we were being visited from other worlds. That's one of the things I've tried to really talk about in the book.
2: John, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. As always, a great pleasure talking to you. Um, Let our listeners know how they can find out about you and where they can get your books.
3: Well, the books can be gotten, um, most of my books can be gotten online, um, Pretty much all of them, actually. If you go to the site that you've mentioned, um, www.redroom.com slash author slash john-michael-greer, there are sales links on that page to all my books, or your favorite, local, your favorite local neighborhood bookstore will happily order things for you if they don't have them in stock. It's probably your best bet.
2: John, take care of yourself until you and I meet here in the X-Zone in the very near future. Take care, my friend.
3: I look forward to another conversation.
2: All right, John, take care. John Michael Greer has been our guest this hour. And in the next hour, I've got a gentleman coming on who's going to tell you how to get fired from your job. Now, why anyone would want to get fired from a job is beyond me, but this is the X-Zone, and we'll be back on the other side
1: of this break. Don't go away.
0: Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at TextPlan.us. Texting enrolls for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, stop, out.